lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show. Live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He's Todd Erzin. Over there is Aaron McIntyre. And of course, you are you. You can let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Just email the show, steve at stevedace.com. D-E-A-C-E is the last name. You can like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor and Gab. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Day Show and on Getter as well. I'm actually up on Truth Social. We finally got on there. I don't know if I mentioned that on the air here yet or not, but I, I, I figured I needed to do that. Given, you know, for the last eight months, I've been pointing out that I can't get on. Um, But we are there. We're the real, we're at real Steve Dace there. But since I can't access it on my desktop, that's, they're just trying to make this thing as difficult to access as they possibly can. And I'll just say the quiet part aloud because there's a lot of that going on these days, right? Are you as... Anxious? Are you guys as anxious to get active over there after the way the mood and everything has changed over at Twitter? You know what I'm saying? I have no plans on getting active yeah, okay. over there. All right. Someone someone sent us, was it a note or something yesterday saying, or was it on buy, sell, or hold? I thought it had a great idea that maybe Truth should rebrand as a competitor to Facebook instead. I'm going to put out some numbers later today of what it looks like when you're shadow banned and when, which, when you're not. Since the sale was finalized with Elon on Monday, so this would be four days. We're not even four full business days, right? I've added 10,000 followers on Twitter in four days. And this is happening all over the place on the right. I probably haven't added 10,000 followers on Facebook in a year or longer. So um, it does kind of seem as if but, you know, maybe we're the only ones thinking this because it's been the number one trending app, uh, you know, in the iTunes uh, store or the Apple store. I think that's what it's called now. It's been the number one trending app in the Apple store for several days. So there you go. But uh, you can, I guess maybe if they make it a little more convenient for me to post, I'll finally get active over there uh, on Truth Social uh, at Real Steve Dace because they let someone take Steve Dace Show and Steve Dace told me I could not get those names back. So, again. Good job. Making it every, making it absolutely as accessible as they possibly can over there. Um, but you guys don't care about that. You want to know what's on the show here today? We have a, a pretty good, I think, uh, fair to Midland, maybe even mediocre, which is what we all strive for here. Program in store for you. Our colleague, Allie Beth Stuckey, will be joining us uh, towards the end. We wanted to save the best for last because we figured by the time we got to about... 90 minutes into this show, you guys would be dragging from us and might need to pick me up. So she'll join us at the end, because uh, th- especially after what we're going to go back to on Theology Thursday, man, we we got to finish this thing. But I got to tell you, you know, I love Scott Atlas. All right. I'm at the cut me mix stage of this fight. <laughs> right? I'm in the corner. I don't know what round it is. All right. I've been beaten. I've been battered. Uh, and Rock is in the corner. If eyes can change. No, no, that's the inspirational part. No, I'm at the cut me Mick part. Cut me Mick. Okay. I mean, that is how I feel going through this book. We got to get to the end. It just 
for my own sanity, if not the audience's. So we will continue on uh, this Batan-like death march called Scott Atlas's first-person account in watching COVID destroy the Trump presidency and thus hand the country to a dementia patient. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, a plague upon our house. That's what it's called. A plague upon our house. Uh, and uh, we will continue that next hour. Uh, and then at the bottom of this hour, uh, Aaron will have three non-political questions. But before we get to all of those zany hijinks, we begin, as always, with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Whiplash. Two whiplash-inducing stories to lead off today's montage. We'll start with this. Yesterday, Joe Biden's staff tweeted, Since I took office, our economy has created 7.9 million jobs and unemployment has dropped to 3.6%. It's historic. Our economy has gone from being on the mend to being on the move. This morning, it was announced the U.S. economy actually shrank by 1.4% in the first quarter of this year, its worst pace in two years. Meanwhile, China reported recently, if you can trust them, their economy grew by nearly 5% in the first quarter of this year. Also, the Russian ruble has hit a six-month high against the dollar and a two-year high against the euro, meaning Joe Biden and the West's sanctions regime against Putin has abjectly failed. The other Flash-inducing story is this. Anthony Fauci two days ago said, We are certainly right now in this country out of the pandemic phase. Are we out of the pandemic phase in this country? We are. Yesterday, he told the Associated Press and the Washington Post, quote, We are in a different moment of the pandemic. By no means does that mean that the pandemic is over. The world is still in a pandemic. In other news, the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, made this announcement after being asked by a congresswoman about so-called foreign disinformation in elections and global events. Our undersecretary uh, for policy, Rob Silvers, is co-chair uh, with our principal deputy general counsel, Jennifer Daskal, in um, leading a just recently constituted uh, a misinformation, disinformation governance board. Yes, a real-life ministry of truth is being created before our very eyes. In completely unrelated news, actress Megan Fox was interviewed by the British digital version of Glamour magazine. She talked about her marriage to rock star Machine Gun Kelly. I guess drank each other's blood might mislead people or like people are imagining us with like goblets and we're like Game of Thrones drinking each other's blood. It's just a few drops, but yes, we do consume each other's blood on occasion for ritual purposes only. <laughs> it is used for a reason and it is controlled where it's like, let's shed a few drops of blood and each drink it. He's much more haphazard and hectic and chaotic where he's willing to just like cut his chest open with broken glass and be like, take my soul. Let me bleed on you. It doesn't not happen, let me tell you. Maybe not exactly like that, but it, a version of that has happened many times. Speaking of blood-sucking ghouls, here's what Joe Biden thinks about your children when addressing a gathering of teachers. They're all our children. And the, the reason you're the teachers of the year is because you recognize that. They're not somebody else's children. They're like yours when they're in the classroom. Anyway, here's Nikolai Carpathia's thoughts on the last few stories. How terribly sad. <sighs> terribly sad. Terribly sad. Terribly sad. Terribly sad. Terribly sad. 
A New Zealand court has found Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern violated the constitutional rights of thousands of New Zealanders by implementing a lottery system during lockdowns to secure spots in so-called quarantine hotels for nationals abroad waiting to get back home. New Zealand in recent months, though, has abandoned its zero-COVID approach to the pandemic. U.S. officials say Russian and Chinese hackers were among foreigners who stole between 87 and 400 billion dollars worth of federal COVID unemployment benefits over the last couple of years. Hackers used stolen bank, credit card, and tax information of Americans to pull off the massive fraud. And finally, conservative comedian and pundit Alex Stein announced last night he's joining Blaze TV. Here's his most recent appearance at the Allen, Texas City Council meeting. My name's Primetime Stein. I'd like to keep my address private for personal reasons. I work at a popular Chili's because I was recently sexually assaulted within the metaverse. And I recently ordered a device from China that hooked up to my... Uh, there's some children in the room, so we have to be very careful of the words I use, but hooked up to some orifices of mine. And it was actually, they say on the manual, I don't know if you're familiar with it, Dave, but it's actually indistinguishable from actual physical intercourse. And I'll be honest, I was, I was having a good time until things got uh, wildly insane. Other people's avatars were starting to take advantage of my avatar, and I felt... I felt helpless. I felt out of control. And we need to tell Mark Zuckerberg how I was sexually assaulted within the metaverse, Dave. I really need your help and your attention. Your time has expired. You. Thank you. And that's what happened while we were away. <laughs> I'd like to keep my address private. I work at a very popular show. <laughs> <laughs> be- that's good as that is, though. I don't know if you've experienced this, Dave. <laughs> How does this guy keep a straight face? How does he pull this off? Where does he get those wonderful toys? How does he do this? this I could not possibly pull that off. No way. Not even one time. I I couldn't pull it off. I could not stay in character. I could not keep a straight face. I could not do it. No way. But what you could pull off, and this is the main lesson of this, this this is funny, but what he's doing isn't really comedy. He's being a better citizen than most people are. This is the exact amount of contempt you are supposed yeah. to yes. have. Yes, you, absolutely, a citizen. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I'm mustering con- the the proper level of contempt. Not an issue for me. No, doing so in in, in that winsome of a manner, much more of a challenge. Okay, but uh, mustering the contempt, not a problem. Uh, This portion of the the broadcast and Aaron's montage brought to you by our friends over at Freedom Project Education. Don't wait to the last minute. If you have decided finally enough is enough, they have indoctrinated and brainwashed my children enough. Uh, I'm looking for other options. Our friends over at Freedom Project Academy might be that option for you. They have perfected online learning. I know the people that founded the school that uh, that still run it. I got to know them. We fought together in the battles against Common Core a decade ago. Um, my own son uh, was uh, in a Freedom Project Academy for a couple of years as well. So I've seen it work. Uh, not just the people working it, but I've seen the process of it work up close and personal. If you want your children to be taught how to think, not what to think, mastery of subject matter instead of uh, spirit of the age propaganda, uh, you at least want to get a free brochure for more information. And you want to get one now because spots are already filling up for the fall. When you go to Freedom for School, F-O-R, 
freedomforschool.com. Again, that's freedomforschool.com. Coming up in today's overtime, we have a true dude code dilemma that was posed by a former colleague of ours here at Blaze TV, formerly Lauren Chen, formerly known as the Roaming Millennial. She, I, I, I mean, this was one of the most difficult binary choices, moral dilemmas. Uh, I mean, I wrestled with this one for at least two to three minutes. And you know that that's a lot of time in thought for me to not have, and, and, and that's a lot of time for me to wait to react, okay? Uh, so this is going to be a very challenging dude code dilemma. We will be wrestling with that. Preening or psychotic? Basically, that's the choice, fair? Is that, is that a fair choice? Preening or psychotic? Choose your mate. Preening or psychotic? Waking up to turds in your bed versus, you know, spirit of the age progressivism spewing from the, the mouth. The turds coming from the mouth yeah. on a regular basis, correct. So uh, we will get to that coming up in the overtime today. Todd, I can tell you are very much looking forward to this conversation. I'm not. Okay. Uh, could have fooled me. Uh, anyway, go to blazetv.com slash dace. We will record it for you right after today's show, and then it will be uploaded for you right there. So you can watch it later today if you're a Blaze TV subscriber at blazetv.com slash dace, which is also where you can go to become one if you've yet not gotten off the sidelines and gotten into the game to subscribe at blazetv.com slash dace. Uh, I, uh, thoughts and prayers. Uh, let's get into Aaron's montage and begin with thoughts and prayers to the editorial staffs at CNN, MSNBC, all their employees and all of legacy media. Um, every employee and uh, within higher education, particularly at a elite, an elite academic uh, academia uh, institution, uh, as well as the affluent white wokes that they feedback loop each other uh, with, because they will be hardest hit by the news this morning that the economy actually contracted, and at a rate that we saw during lockdowns, when we were intentionally not economying. Let that sink in. We were intentionally not economying in the first quarter of 2020 because of a lockdown. I think it's totally appropriate that you're making up words now because the words we yes. had before just aren't good enough. We're not. We're not. We're not. Try, we're we're trying to, or at least that's the rumor anyway. We are trying to economy now. Trying it. However, are we? Uh, all the well, that's the question. Yes, that's the question. Are we talking about a managed decay, basically? Yes, and that makes Joe Biden basically a um, uh, traitor, a, 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 a Weimar Republic type of a figure, if you know what I'm talking about here. He's just the bridge. He's the aging bridge of a once proud but dying civilization that has seen its peak and is now being um, slowly but surely groomed into accepting a, um, a, a, a whole new level of authoritarian um, totalitarianism, right? Yep. And if you think that that couldn't happen here, and, and I know right now some of you are like, man, where's the optimistic Steve from a couple days ago? Same guy. But this is me warning you, man. This is why... This is why you lift all them weights. This is why you do all those reps, okay? We're playing for big stakes here. Real stakes are at stake here. And 
the game we're playing for here ultimately is nothing other than either the sustaining of or the ending of a civilization. And I, I, last year, I told you about a documentary series that I watched. Uh, I think it was on Netflix uh, about how, how does... Uh, how does a Hitler-esque character rise to power? And the documentary series actually began with the conditions in Germany at the turn of the 20th century. It was the most advanced, maybe militarist, mil, mil, superior military, most advanced culture, most enlightened culture. I mean, if you look at silent films of Berlin in 1910, 1912, it looks like something out of a world's fair setting there's blimps there's trains there's mass transit there's vehicles this is this for the early early 20th century was an extremely enlightened society this was arguably the most advanced educated prosperous and militarily superior culture in the world certainly in the west at that time certainly it was in the west Within 25 years of that, it's a hellscape. It, I mean, literally, demons are literally, literally in charge. Literally in charge. Not, not pulling strings, not behind the shadows. Literally in charge. Occultic activity is literally government policy. How does that happen? Within a generation. The people that were our age when that totalitarian, authoritarian regime came to prominence were more than old enough to remember what it was like to walk down the streets of Berlin and Hamburg Uh with their parents and grandparents as children or teenagers. And it was a completely different country. I mean, the architecture, everything changed. Everything changed. A complete and total metamorphosis. Because when a culture lets go of the rope, it goes fast. Now, the good news here is there is much more resistance on the ground to this notion than there was in Germany in the 1920s and 30s. Much more. As we've proven in just the last few months, which was my note of optimism on Tuesday's program, right? But, remember, we're still in a hole. We've stopped digging. Well, at least people like us have stopped digging. We've stopped digging. But it's a long climb. Don't let go of the rope. As the greatest selling book of all time says, finish the race. We have to finish. We have some momentum, but we are nowhere near the top of that ridge yet. We're still climbing. We're not crawling. We're not trying to use the last vestiges of our strength now to get our full bodies up out of that hole. We're still in the climbing phase. 
And the evil we are up against is relentless. Case in point, Anthony Fauci. Even by Fauci standards, a 48-hour complete turn of his own talking point. What's the benign, innocent explanation for why he would flip-flop the other way? Don't you typically see... Well, he's a politician. Don't you typically see politicians flip-flop towards the more optimistic view because they tried the doomsday uh, negative uh, perspective, got huge blowback, and then came back, yeah, you know, it's not really that bad when we had a chance to look at it again, right? Who flip-flops into more of a nihilistic position? Did you see four hours ago that Moderna seeks U.S. authorization for yes. COVID-19 yeah. vaccines for children younger than six? So, I mean, if, I we're, if, if we're not in the pan, that's a great dot connect right on the money, brother. If we're not in a pandemic phase, then why do I need an emergency use authorization, right? For a jab that doesn't work for kids who 75% of them, according to CDC's own data, already have um, natural immunity to COVID. Not to mention... So you have a little a little waning at efficacy with a lot on the side of escalating risk profiles. You're exactly right. That's demonic. That is demonic. Aaron's razor. That's our new thing now. It's just demonic, bro. That's that's who flip flops into the more nihilistic view. Who comes out and says, actually, you know what? It's even darker than we thought. Darkness. <laughs> Darkness does that. So don't take a break every now and then. That's why we have these things called weekends, right? Okay. But understand, momentum is not a win. Midway was momentum. The war went on for three and a half more years. Okay. So um, we have some mo right now. No question. Can't deny that. We can debate maybe with one another the extent of that of that momentum. We cannot argue, though, I believe that we have some. But we also cannot rest on our laurels and get complacent here. We're just beginning to see the scale go in the direction we want it to. That's good. But there is still much more work to do. Especially when they're literally going to form a ministry of truth right out of an Orwell novel. Especially when the same day that we find out we're in a full-blown recession, the, the, the president and the administration who put us there wants $33 billion more for Ukraine. Why? And anybody in Congress who votes for that has announced themselves as disqualifyingly out of touch. So or just a, or a lot of them, yeah. <laughs> or just a traitor. Speaking of traitors, this didn't make the montage. I was beginning to think we might get through a year for the first time that, you know, since I've been doing this full time, which is 2006. I was beginning to think we might not, we might get through this. And maybe at least the Chamber of Commerce Republicans at least could read a poll. Nope. I got to give mad props to Tom Tillis, man. Republican, but not really. Out of North Carolina. 
in this environment, you know, I said the other day, we just need, we need some more whores. Yeah, I, I mean, we need some more whores. We lack for whores in politics. And lo and behold, Tom Tillis was like, I'm your Huckleberry. In some ways, this, in, in some w- twisted way, this almost restores a little bit of faith in, my, in, in the process for me. Just a skosh. Um, Tom Tillis has a great idea, guys. Stop me if you've heard this one before. It was kind of dawn, brand new on me, too. Okay. Um, he wants Republicans and Democrats to come together and do a grand bargain, grand deal uh, on immigration to fix the border that includes amnesty. Why did anybody think of this before? Steve. I can't believe it. We, you mean we, this was possible this entire time? This has literally never worked, but it might work this time. Yes, indeed. I, I just, I have to, I, I got to grant Tom Tillis. Dude, thank you. I was beginning to think there were no more whores left in politics now. Okay. And you have outed yourself and you're just like, listen, man. I'm out on the streets of Charlotte right now. I got the splotchy green eyeliner. Okay. Mascara runneth over because of whatever went on in the back of that dude's SUV 10 minutes ago and the 15 other dudes that were in there. And let me just, I got a pack of Newport lights just rolled up here right in my sleeve. I'm here for you. What are you doing tonight? Chamber of Commerce. So for those of you, if you had this on your Pat Gray bingo card for the 16th year in a row now, hey, tradition unlike any other for a 16th year in a row now bet some republican whore for the chamber of commerce has come out with a novel idea a novel virus we should do a deal with democrats for amnesty and get border security out of that genius job tom i I, you know what Given the fact you spell your name in the most sanctimonious way possible, T-H-O-M, I should have figured that you had a little extra oomph of whoredom in you. My bad. My bust, Tom. I underestimated. I underestimated the extent in the, of your opening, your orifice. My bad, brother. Well done. Way to go ahead and say, you know what? At a time that Democrats are polling worse with Hispanics... Than they are with whites. This is the time to reach. This is the time we have to show them we're not haters with an amnesty bill. I mean, dude. And props for your MSNBC booking later today. You guys have any thoughts on that? Give Tom, you know, give Tom a little round of applause. In fact, don't. Because um, uh, he got a few rounds from his friends over at the chamber. What do you guys think? I'm totally ready for that Meghan Markle, Amber Heard yeah. discussion now. <laughs> the overtime? Yes. Let's just go there. Because I actually had some hope in me, some integrity. You, you stripped it from me. That's that's I, not my intent. I got nothing. I'm not intending to do that. This has been a good week. The horrors are back in town. Okay? The horrors are back. All right? Some, we might, this is, this is frankly the most normal thing that's happened since COVID stand began. We actually have open whoring going on in the Republican party. Nine and a half over under. We just had it. That's the 10th whore of this week. Thank you. I don't, I I don't even mean this sarcastically. 
my, I, I, you can't tell. I mean, I'm doing this with a smile on my face. I mean, I'm this week's going great, guys. This is the most optimistic I've been in a while. All right. Are you kidding me? We've got Republicans now feel like they've got so much momentum. They can just go ahead and drop trow, man. They can just do that for you. I mean, what do you I mean, we might actually get back to normal after all, Todd. What are you talking about? <laughs> this entire show so far is the version is the video version of that woman's t-shirt when she said you can grab me by the blank 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 to Donald Trump. That's what um I we living in interesting times. I hear what you're saying. I'm just there's days I wake up in the morning and I'm built for that, and there's days I wake up in the morning and I'm not. And I think it's the latter today. Yeah. Uh, so, so I mean, to sum up the last 24 hours, if I may, real quick. Sure. Uh, Biden says a growing economy is a contracting one, or vice versa. Um, Dr. Fauci says uh, the pandemic is over and still going on. Uh, Tom Tillis <laughs> says Tom Tillis says that uh, rewarding uh, illegal aliens will lead to less illegal aliens, and that's before we get to the news about the Ministry of Truth being formed. Did I get that right? Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. You're That's welcome. exactly right. You seem to be taking that 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 blot of news in a negative way, Todd. <laughs> yeah. Cheers to Tom Tillis and remember the breath mint. You know, with your economy in a 1.4% decline, it's possible that you might want to look up our friends over at My Patriot Supply, that you might want to decide, you know, best case scenario is the people in charge really suck at this. And if that's the best case scenario, imagine what the worst one is, right? Uh, well, just in case that worst one is true, hell, this base, even if the optimistic scenario is true, uh, make sure you go to preparewithdace.com over there. Look at the three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply, America's largest preparedness company, packed with a wide variety of delicious meals, three square meals a day, plus snacks and drinks, 2,000 plus calories per day for you and everybody in your care so that you will have peace of mind to know that if, well, that could never happen here, happens here again. That you are prepared. Uh, the food stays fresh up to 25 years with the proper storage. Uh, right now, uh, they will ship it fast to you. They're in stock and ready to go when you go to preparewithdace.com. Save $150 off their three-month emergency food kit. $150 off when you go to preparewithdace.com. It is now time for three non-political questions questions who am i why am i here where am i going who am i a search and a question of identity why am i here a question of meaning and purpose where am i going question of destiny some better than others what sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop injecting some levity into the demise of western civilization it's three questions on the steve day show you'll be pleased to know i actually had these prepared before the show not before today but before the show 
Which means I had time Whoa. to think through the mediocrity of the questions that you're about to hear. I am going to give you, I'm, I'm going to grant you a papal or an ironic priest, ironic meaning A-A-R-O-N, ironic priest dispensation here. Um, the last question here is about NFL draft busts. We're going to get to that in a little bit. It's going to put you on the spot just a little bit. So just put that in the back of your mind. Okay. All right. Question number one. What one event or trial or something like that changed the way you saw somebody close to you? Would one event change the way I saw somebody close to me? Um, if you need some time, I no, can go first. No, I'm okay. debating how personal to get. Yeah. Okay. I'll go there. Um, my mom was a nurse and they, they identified a, um, a cyst on her, on the base of her spine. Um, and even though it was benign, they were concerned that if they left it there, it could cause, because of its location, it could cause some permanent spinal damage. Um, so in the process of the surgery, a nerve was severed. So my mom doesn't have, isn't, um, paralyzed or anything of that nature, but it did take away some of her motor function and some of her pain tolerance. Um, and obviously you can't be a nurse without full and acute motor function. So, I mean, this was going to, this was going to basically change her life. Um, and force her into retirement and to find other things to do that don't require any, you know, full motor function, which is not a lot of things. And growing up, I, you know, by this point in time now, I am out of the house. I'm married. This was early in our marriage. So I'm not nearly, I'm, I'm, well, I'm nowhere at all, like intimidated by my dad, that my stepdad that raised me, Dave. I'm not intimidated by him anymore we've had those exchanges now looked eye to eye gone back and forth i'm not intimidated by him at this point but he came in and told my mom a lie when she was in recovery from that surgery that she was looking at you know along some uh, a pretty strenuous rehab and things of that nature i mean he was thinking that you know the kids were out of the house he was going to live the good life retire early and he was going to live the good life and now he's got this wife here who may not be able to be up to living the good life any longer. And so he came in uh, to her hospital room when I was there actually, and told her that um, he had found another woman. Now he eventually did, but this was not true at this time. And I remember at that moment, first of all, a level of seething anger that if we were not in a hospital setting, I'm, I'm not sure. And if I wasn't like totally blindsided, because at first I'm like gobsmacked, you know, because I just knew it wasn't true. Um, and it dawned on me, he was never the bully. He was never a badass. This guy's weak. He just, want, he just doesn't want to take care of her. It'd have been better if he actually did have another woman. You know what I'm saying? not saying that's objectively good but that's a tale as old as time this is i'm just a puss 
And the reason why I bellowed that loudly and dropped all those F-bombs and blew the smoke rings in your face and spit my beer out at you and all the, all the stuff I did and hit you with my belt buckle and all the stuff that I did when you were little, I didn't do those things because I was a badass or because I knew that I was not. And so I, like every other classic bully, I had to establish my dominance early on. And that not only radically transformed the way I saw him, but the way I have seen bullies basically for the rest of my life. And it's one of the main reasons why over the last 25 years, I've gone out of my way to try to find them and confront them. So maybe that's more of a heavier answer than you were asking here on a Thursday. That's great. I'll go heavy uh, the other way. I have a younger brother and a younger sister. And obviously, guys playing baseball, all that stuff. My brother and I have a very close relationship. Uh, and and uh, I've, my, my sister are tight, but it's been different. To, when she uh, uh, got married, uh, wasn't able to have her own children, and then fostered uh, the three children who she's now uh, adopted out of and fostered them out of ridiculous circumstances. These three children are siblings. They all have the same mother, but they all have different fathers. I mean, it's just madness. Uh, She showed me a level of strength I had no idea was in her. Like that, that mother's love that had to be given to some children that we, he, she would make hers no matter what the hurdles in her way. It's truly been one of the miracles I've been able to witness in my entire life. That's good stuff. Let's say for me, I was just thinking about this the other day again. I haven't really talked about this so much, but it was uh, my wife, Bella, giving birth. She's very sweet. She has a soft heart. Um, but uh, you, both of you guys have seen birth in person i'm sure right right Mm -hmm. Uh uh-huh um she did this entire thing without any medication because that's the way that she wanted to do it and to see her handle the entire thing like a total badass uh really changed for for well in a good way uh the way that i see her and it's kind of difficult to to say how but the level of admiration, I would say, has always been high. I mean, she's my wife, but to see her go through that, especially with uh, a baby who didn't didn't want to come out quite the right way, and then just her handle that whole thing without any pain medi- medications uh, was just a, a total boss move. So that would be my experience. Good stuff, too. Qu- question number two. What's the dumbest thing you did as a teenager? Oh, such a long list. I I mean, I can't even. <sighs> How do I even come up with one? Okay. How do I even come up with one? I don't even know how to even. I don't even know how to come up with one. What's the, what's the dumbest thing I did? For me, it's basically every Friday or Saturday night that I spent with Jeff and Raphael, who I'm still great, you know, friends with. But like, you know, the big bail rings 
that they have for big round bales. If you yeah. have ever been out in the country, yeah, we strapped we strapped ourselves in with twine. We strapped our our feet down to one of the bars, strapped our hands in up top, and then we found a hill and we just rolled down the the hill in the in in the bale uh, enclosure. That was stupid, fun, but stupid. Um, speaking of bales, I broke my nose playing tackle football on a on a long stretch of of round hay bales. Okay, gives you a little, I, I was, little taste. Since I was thirteen, I'll go with this one. Okay, I've mentioned before I was a little a bit of a late bloomer. If you guys know what I'm saying, right? Okay, from a puberty standpoint. So eighth grade, seventy eight or football, Jackson Park Junior High. I'm not wearing a cup because when you're a little bit of a late bloomer, man, those things just are uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? They're kind of bulky and uh, they get in the way, you know, and I wore one once. Yeah. I'm coming around the edge. I'm like, oh man, I got a beeline on the quarterback. I'm going to get like my first sack. And some dude comes, comes blindsides me, hits me so hard. Okay. And I mean, like, I mean, knocked me into another dimension oh, at the time. You haven't told this story for a long time. No, I haven't. And I mean, I fell down awkwardly and, you know, and everything else. I'm like, oh, man. And it instantly felt like I got kicked in the stones. You know, if, if when that's happened, you get that feeling in the lower navel area, you know, and it kind of felt like that. And um, but then I'm like, I'll just walk it off and set out the rest of the scrimmage. And uh, that was actually uh, Michigan season opener that year against Notre Dame on the road. Jim Harbaugh senior year. We were number one or two in the country. And I'm like, I got to get home, watch that game because it was a Saturday morning scrimmage. I got to get home and watch that game, you know. So I hurry back home to my house on Royal Oak Street, man. And I'm in serious pain the whole time. And I'm like, I got to just brush this thing off. We end up pulling the game out. I And uh, Notre Dame's kicker, who's John Carney, could kick for years in the NFL. Great yeah. kicker, right? Misses a field goal at the end, and we pull it off. And I remember jumping up, screaming, oh, <laughs> something's not right. Something is not right, okay? And now, as the as the Saturday goes on, I can barely walk, everything else, you know? Um, and I knew better than to say something to Dave about it. So my mom gets home uh, from working in the med station that night. You know, and she's like, all right, we got to get you to the hospital. Something's not right. You're running a fever and everything else. Dude, I had twisted a testicle. I will never forget the first time you told this story. And I mean, they had to they had to go in and untwist it and everything else. And Todd discovered that he had the exact same injury. Yeah. Yeah. That happened to me. Yeah. I mean, that that was given given this the the pain threshold of what that was like and then what it was like for the next week rehabbing and everything else. That was the dumbest thing I ever did. Yeah. Amongst a collection of many dumb things that teenager Todd go. Oh, there's, you know, skiing. I was a a capable skier, but, you know, you just, you want to, like, try to do things you've seen on videos, you know, doing, a, there's cat tracks, you know, that the, the, the groomers through the hill, and they can, basically you can turn them into jumps if you want to, you know, trying to do a, a helicopter, you know, on a hill that I had no, you know, just a total yard sale and something that absolutely could have injured me permanently. But here I am. So there's, it's such a long list of dumb. Final question. Who's on your Mount Rushmore of NFL draft busts, except for Ryan Leaf? So no Ryan Leaf. No Ryan Because that's an easy one. Yeah. Right, Andre Bruce. Tony Mandarich. Tony Mandarich is another good one. Andre Bruce, Tony, Tony Mandarich. 
Um, oh, the the, ra- uh, the Raiders. Jamarcus LSU, Russell. Jamarcus Russell. Jamarcus uh, Russell. Another one. Damn. Okay. So that's three. And See, I don't. I don't put people like Johnny Manziel or even Baker Mayfield on there. I mean. No, Baker it's Mayfield's too early. Baker Mayfield bust. started a playoff game, yeah. won a playoff game, actually. Achilles Smith. Uh, y- is he yeah. a possibility? Maybe. How about Mike Williams, who is going to be that next great USC receiver that never panned out? Um, but Andre Bruce, Tony Mandrich, Jamarcus Russell, and it feels like there might be another quarterback there that maybe is an obvious oh, one. Matt Leinert, Brady Quinn. Yeah. Would, would they all bigger flameouts? Blake Bortles, Trent Richardson. Trent Richardson's a really good one. Blake Bortles started an AFC championship game. So I'll go. I'm True. fine with Trent Richardson. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm okay with that one. But I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a long list, which is what, which is why trading down almost always works better than trading up because it, it it's a, it's a volume game. It is a crapshoot. The more bites you get at the apple, the more likely you are to get something right. Okay. This draft is the first time I've really, you know, in the amount I picked and you know, I love the draft. It's an overrated hype machine. Uh, I can't wait. I'm, I'm, I I'm excited. I know. Yeah. I know. But, uh, <laughs> I've lost my train of thought. Um, oh, but they're, the analysis I'm here on the radio, this, this, they're admitting what is obviously true every draft, but this time, because there is so clearly not, a quarterback that they can even fake into number one draft status. That's the thing. They all, they get so caught up in treating every draft just like it's every any other draft, which why they keep making that mistake that Steve just talked about. You just, he's the number one person, so he must be the second coming of something. No, there's some drafts that are obviously better than others, and there's other drafts that are just pedestrian, and if you're really good at this, that's what you need to acknowledge. And then you don't make the stupid mistake of uh, trading away your franchise because you get caught in the energy of the moment. Yeah, for me, it's um, Brady Quinn, Trent Richardson, Matt Leinart, especially considering what Matt Leinart, at least in my generation, that's the first quarterback that I thought, oh, this guy, everybody thought, oh, this guy is absolutely a lock. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm open to other possibilities at the fourth, uh, at the fourth. One of our colleagues here mentioned, um, Brian Bosworth, but if I remember right, he was a supplemental draft selection. I, I, yeah, I think he was a supplemental draft selection. If I, I can look that up during the break. How about the other USA quarterback, Mark Sanchez? I bet again, he went to an AFC championship game, two of them. He yeah. started two different AFC championship games. Yeah. You know, Bosworth would be there if he went in the regular draft, but I'm pretty sure he was a supplemental draft guy. But nevertheless, clearly did not live up to, I mean, you're talking about one of the greatest college football players mm-hmm. of all time. We'll come back and Theology Thursday. The scourging will continue when we return. With hour two live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He's Aaron McIntyre. He's Todd Erzin. And you are you, and you can let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show, Steve at SteveDace.com. D E A C E. Like us on Facebook, Me, We, Parlor, and Gab. Follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter and Getter. 
And you can look up Real Steve Dace on Truth Social as well. If you're a podcast listener, please, if you've yet to do this, leave us a five-star review if you like the show. And hit the subscribe or follow button, too. Thank you to all of you that have done those things for us already. We appreciate each and every one. You can also get clips of the show for free and free of censorship as well at rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. Again, rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. Did you know... That a majority of the pork produced here in the U.S. is from one company, and it has Chinese ownership. Um, yeah, about that. Um, if you've got an opportunity here to go farm to table to your table, why not take advantage of it with our friends over at Moink? They deliver grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and they deliver it straight to your door with Moink farmers that do this just like our grandparents did. As a result, Moink meat tastes the way that it should because the family farm simply does it better. And you get to choose the meat delivered in your box each and every month, like ribeyes, chicken breasts, pork chops, salmon fillets, and so much more. So you can help to keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com slash steve. M-O-I-N-K is how it is spelled. M-O-I-N-K for moinkbox.com slash Steve. And if you sign up now, you can get free filet mignon in every order for a year. Free filet mignon in every order for a year when you go to moinkbox.com slash Steve. Well, we've been doing this series on Theology Thursday that we started uh, when we came back from Christmas break in January We've, we're doing three book studies, and I chose these three books so that we could observe the behavior and tactics and strategies of the spirit of the age in its natural habitat, that maybe we could learn some lessons. Uh, and so we're looking at it in a political context with the book that we're talking about right now, A Plague Upon Our House, My Fight at the Trump White House to Stop COVID from Destroying America by Dr. Scott Atlas. When we conclude this book, we will look at it in a cultural and theological context with my book, the one right here in front of me. Do what you believe, pardon me, or you won't be free to believe it much longer. And then later in the year, we'll look at this economically uh, with a book that I've selected along those lines as well. So we're going to try to tackle the three major fronts here, politics, uh, cultural, theological, philosophical, and then economic. Um, however, the Atlas book, and this is my challenge to you guys. The Atlas book is get, is a tough read. I mean, just case in point. Here's an email I got from, and I mean this as a compliment, okay, from a uh, uh, from a smart ass, uh, just about ten minutes ago, and I mean it as a compliment, okay. Because this is the kind of email I would send. With the last few months of watching Theology Theology Thursday and just finishing the Scott Atlas book, I feel like, or the first chapter of the Scott Atlas book, reading it myself, I feel like I should just put it down and read something more cheery and uplifting. Like The Great Reset. Okay? This, This is a tough read. And when I announced we were going to do this book, I had not read it yet. So I thought it would have some cautionary tales. I didn't think it would have all of them. Like every, every cautionary tale just re-racked 
Let's run it back. Next chapter. Different names, often the same. Same mistakes. So my challenge to each of you this week, as we get into the final furlong, final third or so of this book, we're on chapter 11, Don't Rock the Boat. And for those of you that have not read this book yet, or you're new to this book study, or since we took a week off, maybe you had forgotten, Don't Rock the Boat is what everybody from um, uh, Vice President in effect, Jared Kushner, to Vice President in title, Mike Pence, pretty much everybody in the Trump White House said this to Scott Atlas when he suggested following science and data and no longer wrecking the economy, abandoning the Constitution, and handing the presidential election over to a demonic presidential or a demonic political party. Is that fair? Yeah, it is. Okay. That's pretty much what he was told constantly. And now that we're at a chapter titled that refrain. So gentlemen, is there something different or new that we could point to here? So at least it's a different cat of nine tails that we are about to scourge the audience with. You know, they've, they've done that thing with like the bicuspids and the molars are at the end, you know? And so they're wondering, can it have at least a different tether at the end so when the flesh is ripped off their backs, it'll just maybe feel differently than when we've done the previous 10 chapters of this book. Anything? You know, one positive that I thought was pretty obvious about this chapter is it's uh, one of the shortest ones in the book. <laughs> <laughs> is this the and Jesus wept chapter of yeah. the book? Is that what it is? Yeah. All right. So the floor is open. Each of you pick what st- stood out to you, and then we'll put a theological application upon it. Who wants to go first? So Scott Atlas comes to the conclusion about Debbie Burks and why she is the way that she is. And he comes up with two reasons. One, that she knew that Mike Pence had her back because Mike Pence knew that the image of the coronavirus task force was the most public reflection of his work. You see how that works? Mm-hmm. So no infighting. Um, I'm not going to contradict one of the experts because I want my work. And I'm using air quotes a lot because so much of this stuff is fake, just, just fakery in general. Uh, so much of my work publicly is reflected through this task force. But secondly, and more importantly, Atlas comes to the conclusion about why Debbie Burks is the way that she is. And it was surprising to me how little of Anthony Fauci is in this book. It mostly focuses on Burks, mm-hmm. which kind of makes sense um, when when he explains the reasons why. Yeah, they'd already let Fauci set up correct. a separate government yeah. by that point in time. Yeah, so exactly. yes, yeah. Um, secondly, and most impor- importantly, Burks understood the game in Washington. Burks understood politics. And most importantly about all of this, Burks understood that no one had the stones to tell the truth, especially not in an election year. And as I was reading that, it actually, it actually harkens back to something that uh, is uh, kind of in the news again today. 
why has Vladimir Putin had so much, so much leverage over the situation with Europe? It's because he has leverage over them. He controls basically all of their natural gas, a lot of their fuel supply, oil supply. And he knows nobody has the stones to actually challenge him. See, beneath that kind of somewhat, somewhat ditzy facade, beneath somewhat in ditzy is maybe too, um, too loose of a word there, but uh, underneath that um, flighty, flighty, thank you, facade that uh, Debbie Burks has always cultivated within the media, at her heart, she is a swamp gangster. She knows how this game is played. She's been there for decades. And she knew that nobody, really nobody at the end of the day, nobody of consequence, had the stones to challenge her. This is how evil, and you think that this just happens in the swamp, Todd? Uh, what was the, uh, what was the uh, uh, attendance like at the last school board meeting that you went to? A lot of people there, just packed room? Uh, no. Yeah. This goes on everywhere, guys. Everywhere. Everywhere. In your church, maybe. Hopefully not. You see something that is wrong that's just not quite settling right with you. You don't have peace about. Do you have the stones to speak up about that? Do you have the courage to do so? Again, this is a theme. And no, to answer your question, Steve, seriously, there's there's not a whole heck of a lot new in this chapter that we haven't already dissected. But it is, once again, indication of the theme. Um, all evil needs to metastasize and grow is for people who know better and to know the truth to say nothing and to do nothing. This is proof positive of that. Don't rock the boat. Don't don't rock the boat. You know, um, you know, I, you know, we can deal with the we can deal with the bathrooms. Don't rock the boat. We can deal with these other uh, issues. Minimize the issue. Don't rock the boat. Don't you know they'll they'll be unhappy. Uh, you, this it's really not a big deal at the end of the day. That's what it takes for evil to metastasize, and that's what this chapter lays out. To me, I think the the theological response to that is is more of an application, I think. I think that we have to recognize that it takes conviction to overcome that. It, it Transactionalism will not overcome that. We could pretty much get Trump's ear. I mean, we were sitting here in the first couple of years of the Trump presidency. We were like, we couldn't believe some of the stuff he was willing to do and something willing to say, right? We were like, hey, doing shows about, man, maybe if I'd have known that he was this pliable, mm-hmm. I would have gotten on board at the very beginning when he tried to bring me on board. Maybe I made the wrong call there. You know, if I knew he was this pliable, I thought he'd be the kind that would actually um, negatively influence us. Little did I know that how positively we could influence him, right? And and that worked as long as the evil stayed at a base level. As it stayed at a at, it, as long as it stayed at a level that's just inherent with human nature, particularly when politics is involved. No matter if we're at a king's court, we're in front of an oligarchy called a Politburo, 
um, where we're we're dealing with a democratic form of government. Anytime you ha- you mix power and human nature, you're going to get corruption. It's just unavoidable because our we're corrupt as a species by our own sin. And so when we have the power, a unique level of it via politics to act upon that nature, that's a pretty potent por- portable, right? That, mm-hmm. that combination. So as long as that as long as that corruption stayed at a base level that we all understood is kind of a cost of doing business, a sunk cost into the process. Someone who was who whose worldview is the art of the deal and therefore is driven by transactionalism and has and 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 is masterful at it. Okay. I mean he's the Billy Graham of American transactionalism is Donald Trump. It's one of it's, he's one of the country's great success stories where that's concerned. And as long as it stayed in that area, he could dominate. But when, when the when it got dialed up to eleven, when the when the varsity team showed up and said, "All right, we'll take this from here. We've seen enough from this guy. We gotta." up the threat level here. He's not nearly the clown we thought. Well, we were trying to get him the nomination, frankly, because we gave him all that free press. We thought he was a total clown, easily defeatable. All right, so he ambushed us on election day, but let's face it, that was 78,000 votes over four states, man. Dude just rolled snake eyes, got lucky once. Okay, right? And suddenly now we've got this booming economy and all this other stuff going on. We're moving the embassy to Jerusalem. We're making all these Mideast peace deals. The Saudis and Israelis are talking, okay? And all of a sudden now hell is like, you know, we're not going to underestimate this guy again. It's not going to happen again. We're going to turn the heat up. And that that transactionalism, which is fused into almost all of his personnel decisions. Remember, the, the, the guy at conviction here, when he gets brought in in August of 2020, he's the outlier, Right. The guy that's coming there for, I don't want, I don't want to be here forever. I just want to help us navigate this scenario, this nightmare and get the hell out of here and go home. The guy of conviction is the outlier. He is surrounded by administration that is largely seated and populated with people who are also transactional in nature. It's just that they prefer doing business with people like us. But not a lot of conviction either, frankly. And you cannot defeat a crusader with a gangster. It won't work. Because the, cru- because the crusader truly believes in the merits of the cause. The gangster truly doesn't believe in the merit of any cause other than the cause that will give him the reward that he seeks. And as long as it's gangster versus gangster... That can be a very profitable venture for, for people like us to use that leverage. It's like having two people bid on you for a job, right? And you can play one off of the other. You can use that leverage to your advantage. But what happens when we think of conviction, we often think of our own side. Do you know the amount of conviction it takes to get jabbed five times, double mask for two years get COVID anyway and come out and say, it's now time to inject this poison into the children. 
It takes a lot more conviction other than Pfizer's, you know, wrote us a big check. It takes a hell, pardon the pun, of a lot of conviction to be that devoted. Conviction works both ways. And right now, and, and this, is, this is the difference in what you see in what's going on in Florida as to what went on here. Someone whose primary drive is conviction is now up to the battle of fighting back against their conviction. It's not just a merely transactional process for him or primarily one. I do think Trump has some convictions, actually, which surprised me because for a long time I didn't think he had any. I do think he has some because if he didn't have any, I mean, he could have cut us to the kicked us to the curb by now and probably been welcomed back into the good graces of mainstream pop culture and, and with a newfound respect for dissing us if he really wanted to do that. He could have cut that deal. Absolutely could have done it. Didn't do it. So there's clearly some conviction there. But if you look at his endorsements, you look who he rolls with, it's conviction isn't a primary driver for Donald Trump. Art of the deal is. Accomplishment is. Significance is. Everything's filtered through that ultimately. And we're dealing here with an enemy that cannot be negotiated with. Cannot be placated. Has to be defeated. It has to be defeated. And when that enemy showed up on their doorstep, they just, they didn't have the wherewithal to stand up to it. And that, this just becomes, and then they end up, here's this mosaic figure, and like Scott Atlas, who's like, hey, follow me to freedom, basically. And let me tell you what, don't rock the boat is. Oh, now we've got to get the straw to make our own bricks. It's even worse here now that you showed up. What do you mean follow you to freedom? And that all that is absolutely a tale as old as time. It takes real conviction to defeat real conviction. And your Russian analogy, Aaron, is so right on the money. Because on one hand, it turns out there's a more conviction in the in a remnant of the Ukrainian people than Vladimir Putin was counting on. And that's why there's still a country on the map called Ukraine a lot longer than any of us thought there would be. On the other hand, Putin can continue almost indefinitely leaning on the Ukrainians to try to wait them out and wear them out because there is no conviction to ultimately push back on him actively because he owns their asses along the lines of what Mm -hmm. you're talking about. And so that's why this war is in this tug of war where... He can't quite get enough momentum to topple the Ukrainian regime and because he can't quite crush the will of the people. On the other hand, there really isn't the will to truly crush Vladimir Putin because he's your dope dealer at the same time. And so we're just going to get a bunch of, we'll fund more of this and more people get killed for essentially nothing. Before we go over to Todd, Let me tell you about our friends over at Built Bar, because it is the greatest protein bar of all time. Every flavor 
and they've got brand new granola bars. I just launched a granola bar line this week. I haven't tried it yet, but if it's anything like everything else they do, you know it is spectacular. It's the greatest protein bar of all time. So many great flavors. All of them covered in real chocolate, loaded and packed with flavor. It tastes like a candy bar, but it has the carbs, calories, and sugars of a protein bar, which makes it, I I just think, such a great product. You don't have to choose between eating well and eating good at the same time any longer. All right? If you want to try it or try it again, 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 because I have used my promo code probably as much as anybody else has. All right? Promo code DACE for 15% off when you go to Built.com for Built Bar. B-U-I-L-T, Built.com, promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E, when you check out to get 15% off for Built Bar at Built.com. Todd? It's, it's like... The Office, the show The Office, chapter after chapter after chapter. There's just, there's no dignity to be found mm. anywhere, anywhere. Uh, she, uh, Burks is, if you recall, uh, Michael Scott's supervisor, boss, slash love interest, Jan. Like, all you think got her act together but now heck we we thought that about Burks early on like she she might be the one to help navigate sanity it turns out she's just and we found this out yesterday more when she's just complaining about this is you know this is sexism she's just hopelessly neurotic yet the environment we've created is that that's what draws people to the political sphere. People neurotic who are looking to be somebody. And therefore, everybody just keeps saying, you know, it's a get get out of the way, let her do her thing. I'm not taking any shrapnel uh, because of her. That's that, that's all a version of don't rock the boat. And so you can't, in every chapter, you go back, even if his name hardly comes up, you go back to the fact this is the office occurring within the White House. And Donald Trump's thing was all the best people. And reconciling to the fact that I want no part of promoting or endorsing this guy to be president, but at the same time, of course, if he's the nominee, a vote for him kind of thing. I wonder when I'll be able to get any level of respect back. For just about anybody in authority doing anything on any level, uh, this this goes beyond this chapter. This is my frustrations with. Uh, yeah, it, it, I'm not going to go into the details, but you know, the, the, uh, college sports right now and and the transfer portal, a name, image, and likeness. And we've it, there's just people at every level that think they are saying and doing grown up things but they are just playing in their own diaper and they have PhDs. This, whether we're talking about COVID or we're actually talking about government, it's just our way of adulting right now is deeply, deeply broken. For most of human history, and sin was prevalent in all of it, but you just did not get these excuses or you would die. You had to survive. You had to feed somebody. There was no uh, welfare as we know it now. 
You had to rely on charity. And as Marvin Olansky told us in a book I've mentioned many times, The Tragedy of American Compassion, there was a relationship there. It came from the church. It came from your neighbors. You could not just milk a system. You had to kneel. You had to repent. You had to bring your brokenness to this church and say, I need help. And here's what I can do in order to get that help. I, we are untethered. Untethered from all of the things that are required to make a system workable, even in brokenness. Now, brokenness seems to be the point. We are, Our chests get puffed up in our weakness. We say things like, don't rock the boat. No man, no man should be able to look himself in the mirror and have uttered those words about anything, let alone trying to get this nation through COVID in the White House. Yet we do all the time. That's uh, the, the soul of this nation is rotten at its core because we are cowards. Yeah, you uh, provided the uh, the homily part of the, the the conversation with your own instance. I don't need to even add to that. That was so well done, and it actually kind of um, provoked something in me. Last week we talked a lot about Jenna Ellis. How do we go from mm-hmm. it's a it's quite the devolution from stop the steal to I'll represent the groomers. Right? I mean, that's that's a hell of a that's a hell of a segue. Hell of a transition. Here we went from drain the swamp to don't rock the boat. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hell of a transition too. From drain the swamp to don't rock the boat. You have to understand uh, the normal human sinful reaction is to take a serious situation and pretend it's not as serious so we can continue on which is what you were counting on Aaron early in the days of the Correct. lockdowns so we can continue on with our with our comfort and our decadence. That's the normal human reaction. It is not a human reaction, a normal human sinful reaction to try to take, to take a disaster and make it worse to lie the other way, unless we're doing so for a nefarious purpose, never letting a good crisis go to waste. Right. Mm -hmm. But why are they buying into that over there at 1600 right. Pennsylvania Avenue at the same time? It's because they were, again, I keep going back to this every week, but we need to drive this point home every week. It's because they were up against something beyond their capacity to understand yeah. or confront. That's why. And they just fell apart. And so they're, when that happens... A lot of times they went, they basically just went, Jesus, take the wheel. That's basically what they did. They're just kind of holding on for dear life here. Let's ride this puppy out, win the election. And then maybe then we'll have time to take a deep breath, stop drinking from a fire hose and figure this thing out. You're not going to win the election. You're handing them the methodology by which they will steal it from you, which later happened. You have to deal with this right here, right now. 
You can't go Scarlett O'Hara. Well, you know, I'll worry about that tomorrow. For tomorrow is another day. You can't do that. You won't get to tomorrow, bruh. You won't get there. You got you to gotta, you gotta confront this today. And they kick this can down the road how many times? And it was simply because the conviction to stand athwart the system, which ironically they had already defeated to get to the White House in the first place. They had defeated it on how many ham-fisted fake news stories and coup attempts and Brett Kavanaugh character assassin. You think that would have built the metal, M-E-T-T-L-E, right? That had built up some toughness and some resistance. But in the end, you cannot rise above your own worldview. No one can. Ali Beth Stuckey is next. And now for somebody pleasant, nice, kind, dare I say, relatable. Uh, we are joined by our colleague here at Blaze TV, Ali Beth Stuckey. Ali, it's good to have you back on the program. How you been? Yeah, thanks for having me. Good. So, um, you are relatable, right? You're, you're, Thank you're, you. You're I nice so. and, and gracious and kind, completely unlike myself, right? Okay. So, so clearly you think Ron DeSantis has gone totally overboard in picking on those poor groomers uh, there uh, at, uh, at Disney HQ who are just simply trying to reach the next generation uh, with more and more uplifting content uh, and getting in the way and, and worsening freedom and punishing free enterprise. Clearly you're on the side of nice, correct? Oh, won't someone think of the groomers? Just have some sympathy for the groomers, this marginalized group in our world that happens to be one of the most lucrative corporations in the universe. You know, my grace doesn't extend. My grace doesn't extend to these corporations that are not only on the side of child predation that we are seeing, unfortunately, is pervasive in our school system in the United States, but actually promises sees it as a goal stated publicly that they want to see to it that this law that was passed by duly elected legislators in the government or the governor of Florida is overturned or repealed. That is upending a democratic process, which I think is anti-conservative because it's more like a corporate oligarchy than it is democracy. Mm. And as someone who hates tyranny in all of its forms, whether it comes from a corporation that's trying to inhibit us uh, from living freely and having our voices heard as, as voters and as just as individuals, I'm against that. And if Republicans in power are not the ones to put a check on these major corporations that are trying to upend democratic processes, who is? Who, who are, who's going to be the one with enough power to put the power of these corporations in check? And so I am absolutely for what Ron DeSantis is doing, what these state legislators are doing. It's about time that we had a Republican Party with some teeth who utilized all of the tools constitutionally available to them to push back against these corporations and their pernicious and their damaging ideology. But I was reliably assured 
by a bunch of columns at National Review that I did oh, not yeah. read that corporations can do whatever they want. Otherwise, this ain't America any longer. Your response. Yeah. Yeah. You were reliably told that I was too. You know, I saw a funny meme that was like, it was like slippery. It was a slippery slope. At the top of the slippery slope were some arrows. And it said, um, it was a you know reaction of people saying, you're overreacting, you're overreacting. And then the bottom of it mm-hmm. uh, was, you know, like wherever we land, whatever you can think of, like either the disinformation board of Biden or like kids taking puberty blockers. And then in the middle of the, you're overreacting in this terrible conclusion that we've come to at the bottom of the slippery slope there was a david french column um and so that's (laughs) that's basically how things um tend to go it's like oh you're overreacting you're overreacting and then david french comes in to tell christians like why they actually shouldn't be worried about the things that are going on and then we slip right off the slippery slope and that seems to be kind of what has happened here um but again like if the government doesn't have a have the power or doesn't have the authority to push back against the corporations, which in themselves come af- come to be a form of unelected bureaucracy that does have the power to um, to oppose the will of the people in pushing for the kind of legislation that they want, then I don't know who is going to. Mm. Like, you can actually have your liberty and your rights in a certain way inhibited by corporations. True Twitter, for example, they can't actually violate your First Amendment rights because they can't put you in jail or fine you for saying a a certain thing. But they can, for example, affect an election by stopping the circulation of a story that is inconvenient to the platform of their preferred candidate. And so they are actually um, manufacturing an effect on democracy that they want. And so if the law has nothing to say about that then again i want to know who does are we just supposed to let these corporations run our lives without putting a check on them i don't think so and and keep in mind that this entire discussion is centered around taking extra benefits away from disney right extra benefits that aren't afforded to sea world or universal studios or bush gardens or any of the other many attractions in the state these are ex- these are regulatory exemptions so they operate almost like a mini vatican within orange county florida uh, these are tax credits and benefits these are extra benefits it wasn't like they stepped to their corporate charter for goodness yeah. sakes these are extra benefits there are people wearing our jersey that are arguing and and there are people doing it that don't even work uh, at National Review and aren't aren't named David French, who are literally arguing that a corporation has a universal, unconditional right to the grift and of, of of the American taxpayer. I don't even know what to say to that. All I, I, right. I try to look at all the arguments counter to this, as I always do. They're dumb. Like they're not even. Right. They're, most of them aren't even bad, Ali. They're dumb. They're just dumb. I've heard an argument too that, oh, this sets a this sets a bad precedent. Like you wouldn't want Democrats to to be in charge and do this. And I'm like, oh, so you just haven't been paying attention at all right. until right now. Like, right. let's look at what some state governments have done against not the privileges of major corporations that disagree with them, but individuals, powerless individuals um, that don't uh, that don't agree with them. I mean, the classic example is the Jack Phillips 
Phillips, the cake baker in Colorado, a powerless individual who made a decision that the state government of Colorado, the Civil Rights Commission in Colorado, said that they didn't like. And the Supreme Court, even though their decision was too narrow, they found that he was treated with hostility by the government in Colorado because of his particular faith. And there are a dozen other examples of this happening. Coach Kennedy, of course, the case before the Supreme Court about praying on the grounds of public school. And so we have plenty of examples of left-wing governments going after individuals' rights because they said something that they don't like, because they don't agree with them ideologically. Here we have a Republican responding to one of the most powerful and richest corporations in the world, um, responding to them by saying that, um, or uh, responding to them saying that they are going to try to upend the democratic process of the people of the state of Florida by taking away a privilege. So they're not the same thing at all. Democrats set the precedent a long time ago. Democrats, by the way, don't care about precedent. They're still going to come after you um, if they don't like what you have to say. So I'm not worried about precedent at all. We are years and years past the precedent stage. Mm. You talk to a lot of moms via your show every day. What's uh, what's the reaction to the president of the United States saying, hey, when those kids are in those schools, they're not just your kids anymore. Uh, those are our kids. What's the reaction yeah. to that? Well, as usual, I don't think Joe Biden knows what is actually coming out of his mouth, his brain, I'm sure, is in Delaware. His words are just there because he knows that he has to say something. And so maybe that's if you just want to give him the benefit of the doubt, then maybe he doesn't actually believe that ideologically. Unfortunately, the much scarier thing is that the people who work for him do. The people in our education system absolutely do. We've seen that over the past couple of years. We've seen teachers say publicly on places like TikTok that parents need to get out of education. We saw that in the reaction to... Um, the the teachers going to school board meetings and then of course changing the course of the election in Virginia we saw that the reaction from the left is basically that uh, parents just need to shut up and that kids do belong to the teachers and that teachers have every right to ideologically indoctrinate and and create these kids into little gender confused activists and parents really should have um, no say in it. And I think I speak for the majority of, of parents, whether you're Republican or Democrat, when I say, no, 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 you don't care about my child's well-being. Like, you're not going to be the one to wake up in the middle of the night when my child is calling for someone to help them. You're not going to be the one to assuage their fears. You're not going to be the one to help them grow through every stage of life. You're not going to be there for the heartbreak, for the joy, Mm -hmm. for all of the ups and downs of parenting. You don't care about my child. You don't know my child. You don't know what my child likes or doesn't like. You don't know their birthday. And so you don't know or care at all all about my child and yet you want to take ownership of them for your purposes it reminds me of Kamar Rouge if we're going to use a, a, a radical example but this is what totalitarians do they have to recruit um, child soldiers and you first have to separate the child from the parent in order to do that yep. and I say no this is a hill that I will die on final thing I want to ask you about is what's going on with Twitter right now and just to reiterate a a data point about 80% of Americans do not have an active Twitter account. 
Yeah. All right. And so they probably don't understand. And some of it is it is in our industry, a playground. And it is kind of we're in our own bubble. OK, where that's concerned. And we hate seeing our toys taken away from us and our playground taken away from us. But beyond that, though, is even though 80 percent of Americans don't have an active Twitter account, 100 percent of the news and narratives that those that that Americans see is is germinated, is planted, is watered, seeded on Twitter. It is it's really the new associated press uh, that much of the news and the responses to it are cultivated here. This is its birthplace. And to have it be essentially dominated by one side when it comes to a moderation standpoint absolutely affects downstream the news that the 80% of Americans who don't have a Twitter account will see, as, a, as, as well as opinions. There are some very prominent and good platforms in our movement who will not, in the, who in the past, were weak on COVID and confronting it, who in the past were weak on election fraud and integrity and confronting it because of the big tech censorship would so crush their monetization model that it would make it that they couldn't get uh, discuss any issues so they just stayed away from those things they're self-censoring well now since yeah. the elon musk purchase was approved we're seeing all these huge follower accounts on the right that are going up i've watched him tweet responses back to ben shapiro yesterday our colleague stephen crowder earlier this morning okay so what's your reaction to all of this I think it's a great thing. I've heard some criticism from people on the right, like the conservative Christian crowd saying, oh, you know, they have problems with, um, you know, Elon's politics or like his worldview because it, he doesn't share ours, which, yes. But don't we know from Donald Trump that people who don't share our worldview can have a really important part to play when it comes to protecting the things that we hold dear Mm. something like free speech and so yeah there are plenty of things that i'm sure that i really disagree uh with elon on it's really not about that i'm not looking for someone who shares my ideology to then pervade our our ideology into something like twitter i'm looking for someone who is going to be even-handed someone who realizes that algorithms really should be apolitical and that public discourse needs to be free do i think he has a big task ahead of him yes i do think he has a big task ahead of the uh, of him because there are things that you don't want on platforms, of course. Like there are, um, there is a kind of content, truly actual harmful content that you don't want on your platforms if you want it to be a place that people are going to go and not just a place of total and absolute scum. And so there are going to have to be decisions made when it comes to that kind of thing. But the question has always been who defines what harm is? Like who defines what is actually allowed? And if he is someone who runs a company as impartial, uh, impartially and as objectively as he can, and he recruits people to act in that same way, I think that that is a wonderful indication of where we can go um, as a country. Because as you said, Twitter does have an effect on the 80% of people that don't use it. It absolutely shapes narratives. I mean, I have friends who, after the whole George Floyd thing, I heard them repeating things that I saw on Twitter 
about the 1619 project and stuff that I know they don't use Twitter, Mm -hmm. but it carries over. It carries over into Instagram. It carries over into TikTok. It carries over into people's everyday lives. Because if you have one friend who's on Twitter, they're going to talk to you about what they see on it. So I'm, I'm really glad about this. I don't think that he is some kind of savior because no one is. But do I think that he is playing a really important role in the preservation of public dialogue that then shapes public policy? Yes, I do. And so I'm excited about it. And that's very well said, which is why you want to watch and listen to her podcast, her broadcast uh, every single day here on Blaze TV. Allie Bedstuck. Good to see you again, Allie. God bless. Take care. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, Brought to you by Home Title Lock. Make sure your home's title is protected because it's really the only proof you have that you own it. And a lot of our home titles are kept online these days, which makes them vulnerable to online scammers. And in this case, it's called home title theft. They look in public databases for what could be high equity homes. And then they find what's called a quick claim deed. They forge a signature on there and it makes it look like you've sold your home to them. And then they start taking out uh, loans against your equity. And you often don't find out until the kinds of things you never want to see in your mail, uh, voicemail, email start showing up. Put the virtual barrier around your home's title to protect it with our friends at Home Title Lock. Go there right now, HomeTitleLock.com to learn more and also find out if your home's title has already been tampered with and you don't yet know it at HomeTitleLock.com. Let's get some reaction to our conversation with Allie here. Thoughts, gentlemen? Well, as if Elon was watching our show while Allie was speaking, he tweets out, much like the Lindsey Graham scale back there, he... a scale of the divide be- where Republicans and Democrats and him are, uh, I think is 2008. And then he does another one in about 2015. Mm. And the Republicans haven't moved and he hasn't moved, but the left keeps getting further in the left. And then he does another one with the current day and the left is just sprinting off a cliff and the person is calling everybody a bigot and the Republicans just laugh out loud. That, that's what Ali was talking about. I, I, He's, I, I get, he, I, we're used to people like him. We know what our situation is and it's not perfect and it's broken, but that the left is going to an unsustainable place. And if the right knows that and Elon Musk knows it, we can do business. Amen. Well said. I'm just looking at that tweet right now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We can do business, but the left going to an unsustainable place is not good news. And it no. never was. Because if we do not do business, as you just said, Todd, for whatever reason, if it's because we're cowards or if it's because we have um, get ups over people who hold things in common with us of great import to actually functioning in society, um, there's a lot of damage that they can do and have done and will continue to do. And uh, I I just pray that moves like this with Twitter are indicative of a larger groundswell against this woke left because they are locusts. Well said, both of you. We're back editing it tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.